Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually, these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend. But on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love people, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll stick around because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hey friends, welcome to episode 34. This is our second week back after our short hiatus. I appreciate you sticking with us. Hopefully you enjoyed last week's episode with Baron Carson, and I'm looking forward to sharing today's episode with you as well. But first, I want to tell you a little bit about how we are going to be reorganizing ourselves over here at Good Question Media. As we mentioned last week on the podcast, and we also mentioned it in our announcement when we took our break, and you may have seen it on social media, our family was approved to be short-term associates in missions to the nation of Denmark. We are very excited about this, and we are hoping to head over there in the summer of 2022. Right now, we are in the thick of preparation for that. There's a lot for us to do. We have a large budget we need to raise in order to make that timeline. So our focus as a family has shifted to place that goal at the top of our priorities. However, we do want to continue making the podcast and we think we've worked out a way to do that. It's just going to look a little bit different than it has in the past. So here's the scoop. Next week, we will have another new episode for you, episode 35. And then we will take another short pause on our weekly episodes. But don't fear, we will be back again. In January of 2022, we are going to release what we're calling season two of the podcast. Season two will consist of 10 new episodes, which we will release weekly on our regular Tuesday. Then we'll take a five week break and be back again for season three. We hope this new schedule will allow us to better manage our time and efforts so we can continue to bring you high quality, deep, thoughtful conversations here on the podcast. Along with this new schedule, we have suspended our listener support through Anchor. If you were one of our valued listener supporters, you should have already received an email to that effect. We just feel as we are trying to raise this budget to get to Denmark, that needs to be our focus as far as finances go. So if you feel led to support us, either the podcast or our missions journey, we have a link for you in the show notes where you can do that. We do still have an active account on Buy Me A Coffee. So if you would like to donate there, you can. We appreciate everyone so much that has contributed financially to the show. We pray that the Lord will bless you just as you have blessed us. And we're excited to see what he's going to do next. Now, let's get to today's show. We are chatting this week with Les and Laura Clevenger. The Clevengers are missionaries to Japan, and Brother Les was recently appointed as the new general superintendent of the UPCI in Japan. We're talking about their story of God's calling and the miraculous ways he's opened doors for them, both in their relationship and their ministry. It's a powerful story of walking by faith, and I hope that it encourages you today. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Les and Laura Clevenger. Les and Laura Clevenger, welcome to Good Question. I'm glad to be here. Hi. Hello, hello. We're so excited to have you guys on. We are talking across the ocean. It is evening where I am. It's morning where you guys are in Japan. And we're just so excited that we were able to make this work for us to get on a call and record it and have a good conversation. I'm looking forward to it. We want to hear all about your experiences as missionaries to Japan. But first, I just want you guys to introduce yourselves. Tell us a little bit about your background, maybe how you met. Well, I'm Les Clevenger. Laura Clevenger. <laughs> yeah, we uh, both uh, met at Gateway College of Evangelism, obviously now Urshan. Yes. Uh, so we, uh, we met, uh, it was my freshman year. It was her uh, junior year. And so I had actually grown up in Oklahoma 
I was uh, born in Japan, but I grew up in Oklahoma and uh, had already had a career in IT for many years. And then the Lord directed me to go to Bible college. Mm. And during that first year, I met my wife. And uh, we, whenever we met, there were a lot of cool things that transpired how God connected us uh, through mutual friends, although the friends would not tell me who she was. <laughs> um, that was quite an interesting story, but I was praying and said, God, you're going to have to show me who it is. And uh, one day I woke up with a migraine headache and uh, looked up and or, uh, it was on a Sunday. So I didn't have any food in my room, so I couldn't take my medicine. So I had to wait till lunch went down to take my medicine and eat and uh, wound up uh, looking up. And that was, the Lord spoke to me, said, that's her. And I was shocked. (laughs) (laughs) So I I just asked the Lord, I said, if it's Laura, then, or at that point, I didn't even know it was Laura. And uh, I said, let her be at the service that I'm going to be at today at Brother and Sister Votaw's church in Missouri. Uh, at that time, which they were missionary evangelists to Asia shortly after we met. And uh, uh, sure enough, she was at that service. So we sat at the table after service eating potluck together. (laughs) And and I sat there thinking the whole time, this one day going to be my wife. Oh, wow. (laughs) I didn't say anything to her. (laughs) That was probably wise. (laughs) (laughs) I had actually prayed uh, because I went to Gateway to be a teacher, like with the Christian education program. But I also wanted to do whatever God wanted. But I had prayed, Lord, if you have a husband for me um, here, please let him know when he sees me that I'm the one. So that was pretty neat how God did that. (laughs) That is very neat. I love that story. A couple weeks after I met her. I, I started asking the Lord, please give me patience because every girl I ever asked out before her turned me down because I didn't know. Them. So, and so I was patient, would catch her in line and start talking to her. And uh, I caught our friend in the hall and said, Is it Laura? And she said, What makes you think that? <laughs> so she thought, and I just told her the Lord showed me who it was. And uh, it was really cool how that worked. That is really cool. So you guys met at Bible school, both of you clearly with a heart to do something for the Lord. And now you are you are married and you're in Japan. So tell me a little bit about how that all came about. Being born in Japan, my earliest memories were praying for Japan that God would send somebody to Japan. I remember at four and five years old, asking God send somebody. Uh, I always told my parents I was going to go back to Japan. Hmm. Uh, I think God had already put in my heart, even at an early age, a calling to Japan. At that point, I didn't really understand it. And then at 14 years old, God gave me a vision of an ocean of people. Uh, They were only shadows. I couldn't see faces. But in that moment... I knew God was calling me. He said, I've got a plan for you, and I've got a call for your life to Asia. And uh, I was like, okay, Lord, I surrender everything to you, and I would be willing to die for you. So that was the beginning uh, of understanding of my calling. It was not till several years later that God really began to move on me, because like I said, I had a career in IT, I was making a lot of money. I had my own computer company mm-hmm. before I went to Gateway. And uh, it was just, uh, you know, God took me through a valley, pretty much the valley of shadow of death. <laughs> I faced a lot of uh, issues growing up personally. And uh, God delivered me from alcoholism and suicide and all kinds of stuff to bring me to the place where I was willing to surrender everything to him. Yeah, and for me, it's really amazing how God prepares us even when we're young. We don't realize it at the time, but looking back, God was really preparing us both for the Japanese people because I um, started homeschooling in sixth grade. I started having trouble with my new math teacher 
and not her specifically, but with the <laughs> math I was learning. And um, my parents decided, well, we're going to homeschool you. So from sixth grade on, I was homeschooled and pretty sheltered. And I think that developed a lot of who I am today, you know, just um, being alone a lot. And actually, it's helped me on the field because I already was used to it. Hmm. And it was also when I was 14, I believe, that I was in my room I remember being at my desk and I think I was praying and I saw a vision of myself in this place with huts, which didn't really, I haven't seen those huts yet, but I saw myself kneeling down and these dark skinned kids were running to me to hug me and that was it. And so I thought, wow, maybe I'm going to be a missionary someday. And then, um, when I, I was raised assemblies of God, but when I was 15, my parents and I got into the UPC church. And when a missionary came through, they were to Africa. So I thought, oh, when they were doing their presentation and the song was going on in Zimbabwe, I thought, this is what, this is me. This is Mm -hmm. what I need to do. And so, yeah, God just started dealing with me um, even before I met my husband. And I didn't know how it was going to all come together. And Japan wasn't on my radar at all. But I knew that somehow God was going to lead me to something big he had for me. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. I love how for both of you God was God was talking to you as children. Mm-hmm. As the mom of a little girl who is you know I have two little girls, 6 and and almost 2. And it just is a good reminder for me that even right now God has a plan for their lives and he knows what he what he has for them to do and to be mindful of that and to be encouraging them in that and because Amen. even as life has, t- you know, takes different different paths, like you said, Les, you went through some things before you got to the point where you were ready and able to to follow that call. It was always there and it doesn't ever leave. And so I think that's a really good thing to keep in mind Amen. for us as adults. If we feel like we have missed what we were supposed to be doing for God or as parents, as we're looking at our kids or kids in our church and it's important what we're instilling in them at, at very young ages because God already has a plan and a purpose for them. Amen. Yes, Amen. definitely. Yeah, that age, early ages are so important. I was nine and a half whenever I got the Holy Ghost. Mm. So it really, you know, I believe that shaped my future despite uh, the wayward, I became wayward, but God continued to work on me even in the dark moments he would visit me in, in that place and uh, showed me that there was a plan. In fact, the weekend that God restored me, I was contemplating suicide. I was ready to drive off a, into a ravine. Mm. And uh, as I went to the car, put the car in drive, the Lord spoke to me as if it was audible and said, Don't you know the plans I have for you, son? Mm. If you'll come home, I'll restore you. That was on Friday. On Sunday night, I walked back into an apostolic church, lifted my hands, began to speak with tongues. God instantly delivered me from alcoholism and suicide. And uh, it was not because of who I was. It was just God had a plan. And I think every human alive, God has a plan for their life. Children are such a precious and most important part. If we can get them early. Mm -hmm is such an important thing because that's what I really believe preserved my life. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So the path that you guys took to get to Japan was a little bit different than some other missionary paths. So I would like you to talk about that and tell us how you went about following the call of God onto the mission field. Okay, I'll start this one off. He said he wanted me to share about um, our connection with the Votas and actually... Brother and Sister Vota in their home missions church in Chesterfield, Missouri. That's where we actually met, you know, with going to Gateway. And then I remember one service, we were up at the altar, and Brother Vota said, Sister Laura, one day I'm going to meet you on the mission field. And so to me, that was confirmation and so exciting. Mm-hmm. And actually, in 2004, after we were married three years, my husband took a kind of a spine out the land trip to Japan by himself to see if it would be a fit for us. And so that's when he met Brother Doan through Brother Vota's 
connection, and instantly it was a God connection. So we um, applied for AIM. Yeah, so once we were appointed for AIM, uh, it was March of 2006. We met the board for licensing in April, and they asked me at the board meeting for the interview for license. They said, what are you going to do? If we don't license you, I said, well, I'm leaving for Japan within the month. We had one PIM for $25. (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, after I finished the interview, I walked out and I was like, where did that come from? (laughs) So anyway, uh, we wound up, uh, you know, we left and uh, the next week we had been assisting a, a daughter work for about two years in North Carolina. And the Lord said, you need to transition to the mother church. So we did. And uh, whenever we were there, the pastor had an evangelist at the mother church. And he said, I'll give you five minutes as I began to share about what God had called us to do, to go to Japan, to make a difference in the country. Uh, the, The church just began to respond in faith and people began to put money throwing money in front of the altar for us. Uh, the next day, the pastor called me, said, this is what we've got committed. Would you, how much more are you going to have to raise? I said, well, I don't really know, but let me call headquarters and ask Pat Morgan what, what you need to raise. And so I asked her, and she said, when do you want to leave? <laughs> and I had prayed in March God let us be at the national conference with Brother Stone King, which I had never met before and never even heard him preach before. And so he was preaching the national conference a week later. And so my wife and I, uh, after I told Pat, we're going to, we want to leave next week. She said, (laughs) wow, that's quick. (laughs) So I called Laura at work and said, hey, quit your job. We're leaving for Japan next week. She oh said, what? <laughs> How did that happen? You want me to quit now? He's like, yeah. Uh, it was one service. God raised our entire budget for the first year. Wow. And uh, God sent us. I remember walking around um, trying to pack things up for storage. And my sister, thank God for her, she came over. And I was just in a daze and couldn't do anything. She's packing boxes. Where do you want this? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's okay. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. Yeah, I'm just so excited. Yeah, it was so quick. I mean, we packed up. That was on Monday we found out. By Wednesday night, we were packed up. And uh, we drove to Atlanta, Georgia, because there was a Japanese consulate there. We had to get a visa and we requested a one-year visa, and they gave us a three-year visa. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, and then we drove from there, Atlanta, to Oklahoma. And uh, that next week, we flew out, landed in Japan on May 4th, which was the day that my family actually left Japan whenever I was a baby. I was a year and eight days old whenever I left Japan in May 4th, 1976, we left. And then we returned, me and Laura arrived May 4th, 2006. Wow. 30 years years to the day (laughs) I left as a child. That is so cool. So whenever God sits, I mean, our days are numbered and God knows how to keep count pretty accurately. (laughs) Yes, he does. (laughs) So uh, we begin the journey and uh, one thing for us the journey to japan you know once we got to japan we were like god we're going to burn the ship behind us because we're not we're committed for the rest of our life to reaching the japanese people and to touch japan and asia one um, deciding moment for me i was driving down the road one day by myself and i just felt like the lord was asking me are you able to leave your family completely because I was really, really close to my family. And I think God allowed that because He knew that I would be away from Him so much. So it was really a blessing. But I had to ask myself, and the question was, yes, oh, yeah. And But it was, you know, really in my face, like a real question. Are you going to be able to do this? <laughs> and I decided, yes. <laughs> yeah. There's the realities of 
giving your life over to something like that, it's not small, you know, it's, it's a big commitment. It's a big decision. And so I think it's good to, to talk about those things because yes, there's, those are decisions that you make and you say, yes, of course, God, I'll do what you want me to do. But that doesn't mean that there's not some pain there or some, a moment of thinking like, oh, this is going to be hard, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's letting God choose your comfort level. It's really important for us. It was letting God choose how easy or how hard he would let us. I mean, we trust God. You know, we always say we trust God, but whenever you have to go through difficulty, are you willing to say, God, I still trust you. I'm, I'm willing to go through that struggle. You know, for us, you know, we we started out on AIM. Uh, we were, uh, they did not even have the associate missionary status, which is just a step above AIM, which is, you know, it's it's changed over the years now. It's short-term missions, but associate missionary, you have to be licensed. You had to be on the field at least a year. You could do a, a short debutation within your state, but God just... God just kept us and sustained us, and yet there were times we didn't have money to do what we wanted to do. We, or even we barely had our needs met at times. Mm. But it was a simple act of faith, saying, "God, you called us." It was more than a burden. I could say mm. that there's a difference between a burden and a calling. We all should have a burden for something, but a calling will sustain you in the moments where it's difficult. Yeah. So I, um, you know, I is a passion that causes us to say, okay, God, without restrictions. And we wound up being AIM and associate missionaries for 12 years on the field. It was, it was challenging, no doubt. And uh, in 2015, the Lord spoke to us, said, go to the island of Kyushu, to the city of Fukuoka, which is uh, 5.5 million in the metro or in the Fukuoka. So, you know, we were in Okinawa. We were living a good life. Uh, we were living a great life working with Brother Doan and just felt really blessed to be in Okinawa. In fact, during that time, my wife felt to start a Christian school. And uh, we, for seven years, she served and we uh, were teaching half Japanese, half American students. Because in the Japanese society, they're persecuted or they're bullied Mm -hmm. because they're half. So we felt the burden and need to minister to those young people. God opened that door for her to teach. And uh, all the students but two graduated from high school. And the other two were just grade school. So they, uh, they continued on in school. They were able to get into a school that would help them. Well, that leads me into kind of the next part of the questions that I wanted to ask, which was related to, you know, going into a completely different culture as Americans. I'm assuming that you've learned Japanese or have you had to deal with some of those cultural differences that have come in from being Americans in Japan? Yes, um, we know that Japan's very different from America as far as size. So that's one of the main challenges for me because... Being a larger person (laughs) and being in a land of everything being tiny, it has its challenges. Mm -hmm. Like even um, the furniture, it's all low to the ground. So even when I sit sometimes, like, wow, this wasn't made for a tall person. (laughs) Just little everyday things. You're five foot 11. Oh, yeah, I'm five foot 11. So (laughs) in every picture with our friends here, I look like a giant. <laughs> but it's just comical the way uh, God allows things because it's like he's saying, it's not about you. I'm going to be glorified. <laughs> so just don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So it's really, we just laugh a lot because we got to have humor. That's one of the best gifts we have. And another thing is my husband is always saying, um, let's be transparent. And we try to be really transparent with the people here, because when we are, it opens the door for them to relax and just be real, too, because here it's always about saving face and Mm -hmm. making sure you're doing everything to fit in the box. And so 
I think sometimes just being around a foreigner, they can let down their guard a bit and relax. Yeah. For me, I use a lot of humor. I was in the elevator with the Japanese couple with their one-year-old son. and uh, The boy kept looking up at me, and I said, <laughs> which means foreigners are really scary, aren't they? <laughs> and they started laughing so hard in the elevator. And, uh, you know, getting an opportunity to joke around with them and just... Uh, Speaking Japanese is a is the key, you know. In Japan, unlike many other countries, there is very little, if any, English. Mm. The Japanese people don't even whenever they speak English, it, it's it's incomprehensible by an English speaking person. Mm. So they use uh, consonant vowel combinations to create words. So it's. Uh, quite awkward trying to speak. Yeah, and um, it's a very critical society here, so we try to be really, you know, accepting of ourselves, accepting of others, and try to um, just be really real so they can see that it's not all about being perfect. Yeah, acceptance is something really important. The Japanese, I read in a Gallup poll years ago that Japanese don't know, do not know what it means to be accepted by anyone, even by their own family. Many times, uh, their family will not accept them. So they put on a outward, what's called tatamai, which is your uh, outward face. You put this forward, you'll tell somebody what they want to hear, even if you don't agree with it. And then you keep your personal feelings to yourself, which is hone. And so what I teach the teach the church is I tell them you're going to be loved and accepted no matter because of who you are, mm. not because of what you do and uh, teach that, you know, being uh, critical of one another or being critical of each other. It's just really it's not of God. Yeah, we, we need to accept one another. So it's so important to be real. Once they realize that they're some of the most loving, caring people for each other, they are one of the um, people on earth that just work together in general so well and so committed, doing their best in everything. So it's it's really a blessing to see how that works with surrendering to God. <laughs> yeah, I can think that, you know, I hear some of the same things that here in the United States, we we also might, maybe not to the same degree, but we also kind of sometimes struggle with that idea of wearing a mask and and not wanting to really let anyone see what's really going on. And it's such a good lesson to learn, like you said, that God loves us and accepts us not because of anything that we do or don't do or anything that we can or can't accomplish, but because of who we are and that the freedom that comes when we really truly believe that. Amen. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing whenever Japanese can be themselves. You find out that they have a personality and they they can cut up and joke with you and Hmm. have fun. I had one of my assistants in Okinawa looked at me, said, you're just weird. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, wow. And, you know, it gave me great joy because I knew that they were expressing themselves really the way they thought. <laughs> and uh, to me that, you know, it was uh, it was neat to experience that. Well, you guys just were recently in the States and then returned back to Japan. So tell me a little bit about what kind of challenges. I mean, I know the whole world has been through a very challenging couple of years. But what kind of challenges are you all seeing as you return facing you in the church in Japan right now? Japan was under emergency status for about the last 11, 12 months, which meant that we could not meet in a public place. And so we were really challenged. You know, that's one of our difficulties here in Japan. One of the biggest challenges we've had is getting a building for the church. We've actually used our home since coming to Fukuoka. And we used a community center for a while, but with that, COVID lockdown, it kept us uh, from using that community center. So 
as we were coming back, we had to go through a 14-day self-quarantine in our home. Mm. Uh, So that was kind of challenging. But uh, now that we're out of it, the amazing thing is two weeks before we arrived back in Japan, the emergency status finally lifted in Japan. So it's, I mean, if we would have left a couple weeks before, which we were planning to, we would have come right into emergency status. So Mm. uh, God kind of set the stage for that, we really believe. Yeah, and uh, another challenge I think is um, just being Americans, we're very wanting to connect and we're very... We talk to strangers, and you don't do that in Japan much. <laughs> it's very private. And so I think one of the biggest challenges, too, is respecting the privacy. Not that we don't respect people, but it's even more so here where sometimes the best way to love them is to leave them alone in, in a certain way. Right. <laughs> and just, yeah, learn with the help of the Lord how to let Him work and bring the increase when we feel like we can't do a lot, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I always find it interesting that whenever we hear missionaries talk about their countries and the the culture of the place where they're where they're called, how much of what you would normally um, consider like a normal ministry in the United States has to be reworked and rethought, and how much of a reliance on on the Lord that must cultivate in you to say we're here and we're so excited to be here and minister to you, but. All of the things that we would normally do <laughs> are not exactly. going to be effective. So we've got to try to figure out a new way. It's just the creativity of of what the Lord allows us to be able to experience and to come up with, I think, is really, is really, really interesting. And the Japanese people are very responsive whenever you reach out to them, especially here in Fukuoka, where we live, and also Kanawa's as well. You know, in Tokyo, it's very business, very straightforward. Uh, If you try to talk to somebody in Tokyo, a lot of times they're just so focused on getting to work or getting to the next train. So it's a little challenging at times. So we've been asking God for divine connections like Cornelius, you know, asking God to lead us to key people in this nation because the Japanese will easily relate to one another better than even we can as foreigners. Our goal is to train, equip, prepare, and send uh, nationals into the harvest and God using us to help them. I mean, uh, and we'll make, we make connections consistently. Like every day we're meeting people and connecting with people. So as foreigners, we get away with a lot of we call it the foreigner card. We can act like foreigners and it's okay. <laughs> but we really, we're really working hard to try to bridge the gap and, and get things to where we can train. Uh, we're asking God specifically for a training center here in Fukuoka where we can train and equip uh, the people of God. We, we have... Uh, many Bible schools throughout Japan. So that's one of our priorities is to train them uh, for the ministry. In fact, in Okinawa, while I was there with Brother Dome, together we trained 16 ministers and uh, prepared them and they got licensed. So God is adding to the church ministers and trained workers. Uh, So we're really excited as we see them moving out, stepping out in ministry and and reaching their own. That's very exciting. You mentioned that there are Bible schools all around the nation. And I know that there are other, you know, apostolic missionaries and ministers around the country. Are you guys able to connect with them and fellowship with them or coordinate efforts at all? Or are you pretty spread out? We are spread out. You know, Brother Lucas and Brother Jason Lucas they're up in Tokyo area. They're about 531 miles from us. Oh, wow. And then Okinawa, Brother Hosmer is down there, and he is uh, 525 miles from us. So by ocean. So yeah, it's uh, quite difficult to coordinate efforts together 
Uh, obviously, while we were in Okinawa, we had a great relationship with Brother Hosmer and the work that he's doing. Uh, we do get together uh, annually. We have what's like a district conference, which our districts would be like 23 states. <laughs> so right. <laughs> it's quite uh, expansive. We have a northern region and a southern region. So. So we do get together at those special events. And then also we have a general conference every year that we get together. And I try as a superintendent of the nation, I've been trying to have missionary meetings through Zoom mm -hmm. once a month with our missionaries because we, we need to develop a camaraderie. We both have, we all have the same mission and it's to reach this nation for the kingdom's sake. So we really have been trying to work together closer to one another and help one another and lift one another up. And uh, so that's that's been a good thing, you know, as uh, we move forward. And with the passing of Brother Doan, it, it, it's been quite challenging, you know, especially he was a superintendent. And then the board asked me to step in as the superintendent for him. So... Uh, it's just the goal is to bring unity and unite us together as one nation and one heart, uh, despite the 6,000 islands in Japan. Yeah, that's a big job. Yeah, 126 million people. That's a lot of people to reach. And we're hungry and asking God, send more laborers to work with us. Yes. And, uh, We've been asking, we just got a, we have right after this call today, we have a meeting with a, an Amer that's going to be coming next month. She actually works with the Japan education system. So she'll be going up in the area where we started a, a preaching point. After pioneering the work here in Fukuoka, the Lord directed us up to Hiroshima and uh, Yamaguchi prefectures to start a preaching point within a, a few months of being here. And uh, right now up there in that area, we have about 20 to 25 people that would like to meet consistently. So we're making travels once a month up into that area and ministering. In fact, this last weekend we went there. So um, we're just asking God, send workers, send laborers that feel a burden or feel a calling to Japan. Well, what would you say would be your best advice for someone if they do feel the call to Japan or to Asia, or if they just feel a burden to to help the work there? What's the best way for them to go about doing that? I think obviously the obvious thing is prayer, but also talk to your pastor, share that burden, that calling with them. And uh, I think the oversight of a pastor uh, guiding and leading. I think that's very critical. One thing that I think is really, really important is that the person be sent, not just come. Mm. And there's a difference because whenever you're sent, God is sending you to Japan. Um, it's not something that, you know, you just said it one day, I woke up one day, said, I like sushi. I like whatever Japan type things uh, that's you know that we've had some people that thought it was vacation they came to Japan and we realized they realized right away that we work here so <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and then also you can go to aim to go or let's see there's a short-term missions website with the UPCI I was thinking the other day about how not everybody's called to be a missionary, but those who are, don't doubt the call. Like if you even have a feeling of this might be for me, it's so needed. And especially the Japanese people, the people reaching their own country, but also for us in North America, trust that the Lord is speaking to you because there is a definite call for the missionary that God gives. And that's what keeps you there and gives you success. You know, when it gets hard, it's the call that will keep you there and, and keep you encouraged <laughs> yeah there's a quote by ct stud i read it says the romance of a missionary is often made up of monotony and drudgery there's often no glamour in it it doesn't stir a man's spirit or blood 
So don't come out to be a missionary as an experiment. It is useless and dangerous. Only come if you feel you would rather die than not come. Do not come if you don't want to make a great name or live long. Come if you feel there is no greater honor after living for Christ than to die for him. Hmm. That was a powerful quote that I read. And yeah. I thought, you know, that really, that sums it up because the romance of being a missionary, you know, is something that everybody probably aspires for. You know, it's obviously, it seems like it's a lot of glamour and hype, and but it, it's a day in, day out, consistent, just trying to reach people that are not like you. They eat different things. Uh, you know, you may not understand them, understand why they do things. I tell people often Japanese are almost the opposite of everything we are in North America. Uh, we drive on the opposite side of the road. <laughs> and we read from the back of the book. We read up and down, not left or right. <laughs> and, uh, there's just so many challenges. And it's so easy to get frustrated whenever you're like, don't you get this? Don't you understand? But you have to adapt. You have to be flexible. You have to realize that you don't have all the answers. Mm. Another thing I would encourage somebody, if they're wanting to become a short-term missionary or even long-term missionary, you've got to be teachable. You've got to be flexible. You've got to realize that your way is not the only way. The North American mindset way is not the only way. And if you try to put the North American superimposed North American concepts and mindsets, I think you you spoke about that while ago, is if you try to put that on the Japanese, they're just going to resist. Mm -hmm. So you have to really have to be prayerful. You have to use discernment whenever you're working with people that are fearful to share who they really are. You have to ask God, God, give you discernment to know what's going on and uh, to show you things. I've had, me and my wife both have had multiple instances where, you know, we're, we're dealing with people and people are people, yet Japanese to be vulnerable is so foreign from their lifestyle here. So we've been able to help multiple people. Uh, I had a 70-year-old woman tell me she had never had a birthday party. She was an orphan during the war. And she opened up to me and shared with me some of the tragedies that had happened in her life. And she just, she, she later on, she came to me and said, I never in my life have felt so light, mm -hmm. so free, so liberated. And I guess that goes to some of the successes that we've seen here. There was also another lady in um, Okinawa who had the revelation one day, I need to get rid of this kitchen, God. And so um, she had like a little statue in her kitchen and she threw it out. <laughs> she was, and then she would be dancing in church. <laughs> we also got the privilege of going into a home. Uh, the Japanese have a Buddhist altar in their house. The oldest child usually has a Buddhist altar in their house. And uh, we were able to carry out that Buddhist altar and take it to the dump ground and just smash it to smithereens. <laughs> it was so wonderful doing that. And wow. It's, and it's, it's so interesting because the level of patience and the level of wisdom that you have to use in those kind of situations to say like, how strongly we feel about about these things but we can't come in and just walk into your house and say oh you need to get rid of this right now you know <laughs> like this is horrible yeah. and you, you need to get rid of it now you, we have to have wisdom and discernment to know like when is when is the lord speaking to them and and guiding them and trusting that he's going to do that right amen um, i think as americans so many times we we do like rush ahead of ourselves and we're so used to speaking our minds and and just telling it like it is and that probably wouldn't go over so well if you don't oh, try to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do share our thoughts, but, you know, we, we, we use it with care 
and especially dealing with the ancestral worship and things, uh, you know, to not go to the altar and worship. If you refuse to do that, that would be very dishonorable and disrespectful. Mm. And so, in fact, the Japanese as a society, and you are Buddhist and you're Shinto. That's to be Japanese to a Japanese person. Mm. So to become a Christian is really to deny, quote, being Japanese Mm. to most Japanese. So that's been a challenge at times to let them realize that Christ is the only way. And the way the Japanese deal with it, uh, once they become a Christian, is oftentimes they will... You know, they'll respect the family during the time of praying to the ancestors and stuff. Especially there's two times a year that they do that a lot is um, they'll serve the they'll family, serve the food, family and food and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Mm. So it's it's really honor. And so, yeah, I, I just keep thinking about how as you're talking about all these cultural differences and coming in and learning the the ways that we need to adapt to communicate well and to to be respectful and still uphold the truth it kind of strips away like what is actually the gospel and what is just our cultural norms right here in the US i think we get those things intertwined to an unhealthy degree at times and so it's very revealing to go somewhere else and to say oh that's not necessarily um the gospel that's just my American tradition <laughs> and, to, yeah. and to kind of be able to dig into what the Lord is actually calling us to do and how he's calling us to live. Amen. That's so good. That's really amazing to be able to see somebody's light eyes be open. is such a powerful thing. Shigekazu, a guy in Hiroshima, I had the privilege of baptizing him about a year ago and he was buying, spending thousands and thousands of dollars. He's a business owner, and he was spending lots of money on trinkets and different kinds of charms and rocks and all kinds of crazy stuff, trying to get good fortune. Mm. Whenever I baptized him, he tried to pay me money for baptizing. Oh, no. I said, no, this gospel is free. He said, what? It's free. You mean you said, give me blessing, pray over me for blessing? I said, I'll pray a blessing over you, but I'm not the giver of blessing. It's God, and you must turn to God with all your heart. And I said, you know, you you have all these items in your home that you spent thousands of dollars on. You know, these things are not, these are cursed items. And he said, Really? I said, yes, but God is the one true God. And if you'll submit yourself to him, within the week, he had thrown away everything that was in his home Mm -hmm. that was related to idolatry and the good luck charms and stuff. And he's following Christ with his whole heart. And he's committed. He plays Christian music every day, all day long in his business. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing whenever a Japanese comes to realization who Jesus is, that he's he's the Prince of Peace, he's the mighty God. Millions of Japanese are going to come into the kingdom in this end time, and uh, they're going to see that religion and tradition, and it's really not going to save them. It's It's really relationship both with God and with others. Amen. Well, is there anything else that you guys would like to share about the work there or your experience in missions before we go to our final question? I would like to ask uh, for prayer support regarding uh, our training center. We desperately need a place to train, equip the people outside of our home. We've been using our home for, like I said, since we've been here and the community center, but we really need a permanent location. So that would be our number one prayer request right now during this season. Well, we will definitely um, be in prayer with you guys about that. And I know our listeners will join us in praying for that as well. And like you said earlier, praying for more laborers 
into the harvest there in Japan and praying for you all to make the right connections with the right people. Amen. The Lord's able to open the the exact right doors at the exact right time. And I know you guys know that you've lived it already. Yes. That we'll just be believing with you all that that that's going to take place. Amen. Amen. Our podcast always ends with the same question. We are called good questions. So we like to ask everybody, what is a good question that you're asking yourself lately? I'm asking myself lately, uh, knowing that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all I ask or think, what's the biggest thing I can think of to ask him? (laughs) (laughs) And let him do it. Let him surprise me. Faith building question. (laughs) I like it. Brother Les, do you have a question? Just the going along with what she said, you know, God, God wants to exceed our expectations. So as big as we can imagine, as big as we can think, think, just know that God's going to go above that. And that's really, you know, the question for me would be, am I willing to let God take me where I've never been? Mm. It's a simple but yeah, difficult question, I think. It is, yes. Yes, it is. Well, I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me with and sharing um, some of your story and some of your heart. It's a it's always wonderful to hear the way God has worked in other people's lives and how he's called them and how he's then made a path for them in that calling. It's been such an encouragement and I know it's going to be a blessing to our listeners. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Got to us on hey, we're thankful for this podcast. It's a blessing. Friends, I hope something in that conversation spoke to you. I know I was deeply moved by the quote Brother Les shared about the mindset that's necessary for missions. And I loved to hear the story of how God called them both at a young age and how he sustained that calling over the years, even though the path might not have seemed direct. We'd love it if you would share this episode with a friend and come find us to tell us your thoughts on social media. We're on Instagram at Good Question Show. I'm at Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. You can also find us on Facebook by searching Good Question with Jessica Tanderup Podcast. Or you can email us at goodquestionshow at gmail.com. And if you want to follow along on our missions journey to Denmark, you can follow at Tanderups for Denmark on Instagram. That's Tanderups with an S, the number four, Denmark. We also have a Facebook page of the same name. This podcast is a production of Good Question Media and is produced and hosted by me, Jessica Tanderup. My co-producer, editor, and the man who helped me brainstorm how to keep making this show for you is my husband, Dave Tanderup. Our audio engineer is Josh Powalczyk. That's it for this week. We'll be back here next Tuesday with another good question. See y'all then.